So welcome to this week's Treasury Career Corner podcast, where I interview treasury professionals about their treasury careers. Each and every week, I talk to treasurers about how they build their careers, where they are now, and where they see both themselves and the treasury profession going to next. In this week's show, I'm joined by Martin Van Steenpal, the Vice President Treasurer at Darling Ingredients, based in the US. Now, Darling Ingredients, we talked before, it's actually, I've got a very long bio here from Wikipedia, but in, in essence, uh, Darling Ingredients are a recycler of organic waste, waste materials and turning into a number of other products afterwards. Massive group, 135 years, 200 locations, 10,000 employees. So huge group headquartered over in Texas, which Martin is based over there, but you're here. He's actually not got that much of a Texas accent, uh, unless he puts it on. We'll get that later. But basically, I'm going to get Martin and on the show because it's his show, and I want him to talk about his career today, how he came out of university or then found we were just talking about the consultancy group that he joined straight out of there and how he got started in Treasury. So, Martin, it's over to you, sir. It's your show. Thank you for the introduction, Mike, and uh, appreciate the invite for being on the show today. Uh, career journey, it, it's always interesting to talk about it. Uh, darling, where I am now in Texas, I probably would have never thought I, I, I would end up here, and you're probably going to find out why as yeah. I go through my career journey. It started, as you mentioned, by coincidence, a career in, in, in Treasury. And when I was uh, at college uh, or in my fourth year, I had to do my, uh, my internship in a regional auditing firm. I was uh, doing an assignment for the managing uh, partner there. That worked out pretty well. I, I think at that moment, I was kind of, you know, done with mm-hmm. college. I was not so motivated anymore. I was probably more interested in all the side activities that happen when you are at, at, at college and so that's what you have to do isn't it you've got to make the full richness of the college experience no no absolutely i (laughs) I mean i i do not regret that part for sure but that was of course you have to enjoy but at some point in time you also have to realize that you have to become an adult that's when i did my internship i kind of appreciated being part of a company uh, got motivated and, you know, realized that, you know, this was the way to go. I had to, uh, you know, make sure that I finished my studies. Uh, in parallel, I, I was offered a job at a, a smaller consulting firm uh, in which the auditing firm had a, had a stake at that uh, time. It was a, a, a group called Ilfa Finance based uh, in the south of the Netherlands. And so Ilfa is a company who runs a consultancy uh, advice, advisory services at that point in time, mainly to non-profit customers. Ideally for me at that point in time, you know, seeing a number of different organizations and kind of for me, an introduction to treasury, I, I, I didn't really know what treasury was at that, uh, at that point in time. Got to know it a little bit better, of, of course, got educated on the job, learned more about treasury and more specifically, I think, uh, cash management uh, at first and uh, cash management automation. Treasury got my attention there. I, I liked it. I found it very interesting. I did see kind of the added value that a treasury organization or treasury function can add to the companies. And I really enjoyed my first part of, of my career or first years of my career being a consultant, traveling to various places in, in the country, in the Netherlands. I was going to say, would you recommend that as a a good starting point? If somebody else is, you know, wherever they might be in the, in Europe, in the US, or whatever, and they're, they're coming out of university, 
do you think that's a good grounding or because i have said sometimes with consultancy the flip side of that is you're being employed as a consultant and they want the benefit of your years of experience to come in and you know advise them what's best practice and not all or was it just because you're a junior consultant you go in there and helping do things or what was the sort of setup would you like would you say i think from the perspective of myself or any a potential other person that would uh, kind of consider this. I think it's definitely something to do because you're absolutely right. I mean, you're not the, the consultant that is being looked at for advice and opinions and so forth. Hmm. But being a junior and just fresh out of school, you get to learn a lot and get along with, let's say, the senior professional there. You also get to work for various organizations and uh, what I find very interesting and, and I think what has helped me is, you know, to see that not every organization is the same. Different practices, different challenges, different cultures. I think, and, and in fact, that would have been one of my recommendations if you would have asked me <laughs> somewhere in this podcast, Mike, that I think especially when you are in the, at the beginning of your career, it, it's good to kind of figure out what you like. And you can, I think you can do that by working for different organizations and whether that would be in a role as a you know junior consultant or a consultant at the start of your career, or whether you change jobs a couple of times in the early years of your career, I would say both of that is, is something that that I would recommend. You know, without advising to become a job hopper, but I definitely think it's a good thing to see and experience what the world has to offer. Yeah, range of different companies quite quickly, and you can dip in for a a couple of months project to quite a few months or and you, you you're quasi working for them in a way but you're not you know on the hook for it as well so you can get to see that range and also maybe you also best practice if you're learning from those different consultants above you so yeah it could be a really good move absolutely that that's how i've experienced it but at the same time i have to say that that after a couple of years i guess gets to your point of you know being the, the junior you know when you kind of become more experienced at, at some point in time you also want to be the consultant or advisor that talks from experience not having experience let's say in a, a certain treasury role for a corporate organization or a non-profit organization or whoever mm. the customer that's the flip side and in fact that that made me also decide to you know to do make something else and make a move and do the job in a different role so Martin, you had this great experience and developed a ILFA, and then you decided to go make the move into the corporate treasury world, you know, corporate treasury, and continue that uh, with a bit of a sweet tooth from the sounds of it, because you went to work for this next company. Perhaps explain that and how you then made the next few moves. Over to you. At some point in time, when you become a little bit more of a senior consultant, you kind of lack the experience from the other side of the table, the being at a corporate or a nonprofit organization or whatever, and. So I felt that I that I had to experience that as well, and 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 then I guess by coincidence again, or you know, some things happened for a reason, if you will. Uh, a friend of mine who was also uh, working in, as a recruiter at that uh, at that time uh, was asking me about a job, and, and said, "Well, you're doing something in Treasury, right?" And I said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, that's that, that's right." He said, "Well, I have a position in Breda, the Netherlands, Perfetti van Melle. It's a confectionery company, mm -hmm. and would you be interested to, you know, to be introduced there?" And I said, "Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's good timing, and that's how it all happened." And then 
few months later, I was working for Perfetti Vermella. It was a great company, active in confectionery products, known for Mentos, uh, Chupa Chups, Fratella, and a couple more. Very successful. Small treasury group. Basically, before I joined, there was only one guy who was the treasurer. Uh, he was looking for some support for the basic treasury activities. And that's what I started to do. Daily cash management. It was an international company. So from my perspective, interesting to learn that. In my previous role, I had been more focused on nonprofit organizations. And this was a different uh, story. Active in, in emerging markets with, uh, let's say, the, the, the challenges that come along with, like I said, international. So dealing with uh, with FX. And so that that was kind of my... You know, my second job in, in my treasury education, I would call it, that made me understand, I think, uh, the corporate world a little bit better, I should say. It was a different place, a different culture, not being consultant. So working out of office base and understanding, uh, getting to understand a little bit the rules of, you know, a corporate environment a, a little bit better. And at the same time, I think it was a very steady company. So there was not, the company was pretty successful, but from a corporate perspective, it was privately owned. It was pretty steady. So there was mm. not a lot, lot of change and things that were happening. And mm. I think that drove me into, after I think about four years, into kind of the, the feeling that, you know, it's, it's maybe time for something new. And, and, and I kind of had embraced treasury at that point in time. My boss, I worked very well with him, but but he was also still at an age that, you know, retirement was uh, far out. So in terms of succession within Treasury, I didn't see that happen also in, in let's say, the foreseeable future. And I decided to apply for a job at Engine, whereby they were looking for kind of a new team member that was supposed to succeed the international treasurer within, let's say, one to two years. Uh, that sounded pretty good for me. I uh, It was a you know, a different organization. It was a U.S. public company, Amgen, active in the pharmaceutical space. I had the potential to kind of develop myself more on the management front because I had to manage, if I would grow into that role, I had to manage a team of three uh, people. Um, so I thought, well, that, that, that may be a good next step, different type of organization, management of people, and so I can develop myself uh, further. So that's what I did. I was hired there. Totally different company, U.S. public company. It was at the time that I think Enron was still pretty fresh on the minds of everybody. And there was a lot of attention for shocks was, mm -hmm. was introduced at that point in time. And that together with working for a pharmaceutical company, I think, made the whole experience totally different than, than Perfetti Vamella was, where what was privately owned was pretty straightforward, no-nonsense versus Engine, like the big multinational uh, pharmaceutical company, uh, highly regulated by the FDA and so forth. Hmm. Let's say the rules of the game were totally different. I want to jump in there. Sorry to interrupt, but just some of the younger listeners. Obviously, you and I have got a couple of gray hairs, and, and a claim to fame for me is I actually did recruit for Enron. Peter Russell, if you're listening, I still say sorry about that. But I placed him <laughs> with Enron, and he's got some funny stories to tell about it, about he couldn't see where all the cash was because there wasn't any cash. But on that, and as you say, subsequently, that Sarbanes-Oxley came through and everything else. Can you just, you know, very basic detail explain to people about exactly what that meant? And because... 
you know, a lot of people now just deal with it as part of their job and socks and everything, but they don't really understand the history of it, if you like. So can you just maybe allude that as a treasury professional yourself? I think as a consequence of fraudulent activities that were happening at company Enron based here in the US, I think the company went bankrupt basically as a result of lack of controls within within the company. I think the result of that is from a regulatory perspective, additional controls were required, were built into legislation for, for public companies in, in, in the US to, mm-hmm. uh, to meet you know, minimum requirements that ultimately result in, let's say, representation of the company, of, of management of the company towards the outside world and the investors. What they publish and, and share with the public is, is true, which obviously uh, went wrong with Enron, where as a result of that's a fraud and not fully disclosing everything what's behind there, you know, they had not been fully transparent to the public and to the investors. And it came as a surprise and ultimately they went bankrupt. So be more explicit about the, so that, the finances and everything else is, is key and, and transparency. Absolutely. And I think the result of that event and let's say the Sarbanes-Oxley Act that was introduced, stricter controls and procedures were implemented in in companies. And, you know, that's what I experienced at Engine versus I came from a, you know, privately owned company, well, family owned, small staff, pretty straightforward towards kind of this giant with a lot of rules, procedures, controls, and so forth. So it was mm. kind of different dynamics, which for me was good to kind of understand and, 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 and learn that, you know, there's another corporate world than I came from, so to speak. The other thing I would say is that where I had been working on headquarters, I was now working on a regional headquarters because mm. Amgen was headquartered in California in the U.S. The regional headquarters or shared service center, if you will, was based in also in Breda in, in, in the Netherlands. Those dynamics were also totally different than I was used to. It was a great company. It was probably far more evolved in treasury than my previous company. But at the same time, it, it was also in you know working as part of a shared service center, a focus on treasury operations, very operational. Mm. The other aspect that I kind of did not so much like is that in this company was a pretty top-down approach at that point in time, where I was used to work from headquarters and, and was able, to my opinion, you know, to bring value with IDs and stuff, uh, where here, you know, that was also possible, but to a limited extent, because at the end of the day, you know, the treasury was driven by the people over in California. You know, and then, you, you know, within that short period, you then moved on to Vion Group. You know, maybe just talk us through that. And, you know, this is the point I want to come to, because then you've made, you know, eventually made the move to Darling in the US and everything else. And I think that sort of split between USA and Europe and control I think also I've noticed a lot, you know, because I've been doing some assignments recently and I had to explain to a US-based client that they were looking for a corporate finance person in the Netherlands. And I'm saying that the problem was a lot of US companies moved all their cash management operations to Europe when there were great tax breaks to, and had to have centers of substance and everything else. But they didn't move the corporate finance activity. So when I'm looking for a corporate finance person in the Netherlands, 
I'm fishing from a really good mature pool of really great treasury professionals, but I'm only looking at 10% of them. And of that 10%, they're working a lot of the time for locally based you know, Dutch companies, which have got really great corporate finance centers and everything else. So it's a challenge to get them out there because they're enjoying those jobs. But you're there firsthand. And so you've seen, you know, and again, we talked on our pre-podcast call about the shift between locally based companies, and maybe you do that with Vion Group, but then the, the contrast between US, European, and where the activity levels are, because obviously I want to move on to Vion and then get to Darling. So maybe talk through, if you would, briefly on Vion and then you know how you found it within Treasury as well. Absolutely. So, and you pointed out exactly correct, you know, the Treasury role in an international uh, part of a business is usually focused on treasury operations and not on the corporate finance part or in in, in my case also the fx part and that mm-hmm. that's what basically decided me to move on to vion because i i realized that i'm you know i wanted to develop myself and grow broader and wanted to have let's say challenges and I started at Vion and well i can tell you i, I got a lot of challenges there at first i think when i started Big company had grown significantly the, the prior years by acquisitions uh, to turn into uh, the biggest uh, European you know meat processing company in Europe. Basically, having two activities: food or meat processor slaughterhouses and ingredients. We'll get to that a little bit later, or mm. you probably recognize from the introduction. But and there was no central treasury that really existed. There was an interim treasurer who recruited me as kind of his first recruitment. At the same time, this was a group of, of about 10 billion revenue in, in, in the meanwhile. So a lot of challenges there. Everything had to be built from scratch, basically. The basics on cash management was a small group of banks that had funded the, all these acquisitions. The capital structure of corporate or the, the financing had to, had to change. And then as a treasury group, we were clearly understaffed to make that all possible, to basically make that change and, and build a treasury organization. I started there as a treasury manager to support the interim treasurer. But but after six months, basically, a permanent treasurer was recruited. And I have to say that, that this guy, uh, his name is Tom Swabe, is probably the guy that has had kind of most influence on my career, or at least on the way treasury is being practiced. He and I built the treasury group there from, let's say, the two of us to group of eight, nine people with me building a cash management infrastructure. He mainly focusing on, on the financing and recruited people over time, implement infrastructure, implemented cash pools uh, across the globe, across uh, hundreds, hundreds of different legal entities, uh, multiple countries, and so forth. Hmm. He kind of learned me to think more in terms of getting things done versus being the treasury professional, or mm-hmm. I should probably say the treasury professional versus the business partner was a pretty a difficult job at that at that time, you know, to get things done. It was a major acquisitions were done. It was pretty decentralized organization and you know we wanted to centralize uh, part of the treasury activities and all the people on board to to get things done and you know that that really changed my attitude and my way of working a lot driven by kind of his his spirit and an open uh, open mind to change things and and also to you know sometimes 
compromise in maybe not having the perfect solution from a treasury perspective, but, you know, having a solution and, and, and keep the people on board. I think he was, uh, he was very good at that. How did he do that? You say, what did he just come up with a really clear vision? You say he was very influential to you. And again, people listening today, what was that about? I think he was really more focused on the how uh, and kind of the personal skill set and, you know, how I could get things done and with who and, you know, how you think, how you organize things in a, in a successful way versus the typical thing that we tend to do in treasury land, focus on the treasury solutions only, if you will. He was definitely really focused on make sure that you get in contact with this guy, with that guy, because if you have these guys on board, you can move along. You can you can make things work. He was also more kind of the personal coach that was continuously at me and and saying, well, I should I would do it like this or this. He he was kind of coaching me more directly than I had ever experienced in in, in that sense. And and he he was also I guess pretty open and you know straightforward to that, which at the beginning was sometimes pretty confronting. But, you know, we developed a pretty good relationship over time. And, and, you know, that ultimately worked out well for me. And I think changed also a little bit the, the way I've been working since then. Because I want to get into, you know, we're moving on into showing then this, the moving to Darling or, you know, it was part of Beyond. How, how did it sort of evolve and separate or, you know, describe that for the viewers and then for the listeners rather and again, then the move to Texas, you know, because you've, you know, Netherlands, Netherlands, I said at the beginning of the show, you, you, you're trying to put on a Texas accent. You're not doing very well, if I'm honest. You know, the guys in Texas <laughs> might understand. So explain the, the development, if you would. So I think the second part of V on that, I mean, that that's kind of the introduction also to Darling, I guess, is the first couple of years that I was working with V on, we were kind of building the organization, but I think we ended up in a so-called perfect storm where the financial crisis hit. The performance of food division was not good. And as a consequence of, of all the acquisitions that the company had, uh, had done, uh, the company was pretty highly leveraged. So like I said, a perfect storm for trouble. And, and that's what we, uh, what we had to deal with. And mm. Suddenly from, let's say, building a treasury organization, we, we had to change breaking it up, more or less. We went through a financial restructuring uh, with a number of uh, disposals as a result of the financial restructuring. I'm working with the workout bankers versus working with the commercial bankers. And long story short, this ended, ended up in, in, in selling, I think, the valuable, valuable part of the on uh, being the on ingredients to Darling. This was a probably a very interesting part of my career. It was really tough, you know, as a company, uh, but also I think from a treasury perspective, a lot of challenges that we had to deal with uh, during that time. But very interesting, I get uh, from a personal and, and, and career perspective, I can tell you. But at the end of the day, I was part of that whole process with a very small group of people. The company was cut into two with the ingredients being sold. And I had to decide with what I wanted to do. Did I want to stay with Vion and move on? Or did I want to go with Vion ingredients, basically? Which I did at the end. And that, that decision was taken before uh, I knew Darling was acquiring party. I led the separation of the treasury function because we had built that at the corporate level. Uh, so we had to kind of um, you know, separate that from Vion. And 
when Dar when it became clear that Darling was acquiring uh, Vion Ingredients, I I kind of had in the back of my mind, you know, my my engine experience, like hey, US company, so we're gonna be kind of a, a satellite from there, oh, and told what you know, to do. Probably gonna yeah, told what mm. to do. This is probably gonna last like two years, and either they're done with me or I'm done with them. Mm. I don't know. Mm. We'll see how things how things go. And I have to say the the opposite is true. Darling was a, a prior to acquiring Vion Ingredients was a pretty uh, much a domestic company as such didn't have you know the treasury organization to kind of absorb this new organization in, into so uh, that gave me the opportunity to basically build the whole treasury uh, organization uh, from scratch for the uh, international organization is what we refer to now as you know pr- previously uh, Vion Ingredients Mm. That was really everything, building or implementing a new, selecting and implementing a new treasury management system that we ultimately are using for the whole group now. Doing all kinds of projects in the various regions in the world, from cash management, FX policies, the whole policy framework, SOX implementation that I referred to on the engine now also had to be introduced into uh, the new organization that Darling acquired. Certain financing facilities, even though the corporate finance function was, uh, was here in Texas, there were a number of financing facilities that we uh, that we were implementing. And I think ultimately, and then I think different than under Amgen, had a very intensive relationship with, with the U.S. over here. The, the treasurer, who for him was kind of this whole big acquisition as they doubled in size with this acquisition, you know, and the international aspects of it, you know, was also new for the organization and, and him. So we had to collaborate you know, pretty, pretty closely. And so that was a totally different setting as with Engine. And, you know, from financial restructuring, we went back to, you know, building a treasury organization. And obviously there was a lot of fun and because, you know, from my perspective and kind of at my stage in my career, I'm looking for challenges and, you know, ways to add value to the company rather Mm. than, you know, being part of a very steady, stable treasury community and, and let's say, do my thing. And that was, yeah, that there were very interesting years. And, but at some point I also, you know, after a year or four where all the bigger projects were done, I also you know, was starting to think, and now what, what, what's next? The treasurer had already indicated that, you know, he, he did see me as his successor, but, you know, when he did, it, he was, you know, 58 and also indicated that he was still going to work to, uh, till his uh, 65th year or something. So, yeah, that, 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 that wasn't going to happen very soon. Uh, at least that's what I thought. And he was promoted to, uh, to become the CFO. And, you know, this opportunity came in, uh, in 2018, basically a couple of months after he indicated that he did see me as his successor. And here we are today uh, at Darling. Talk through, so he said, he said he saw you as a successor. He's based in, in the U.S., you're based in Europe. How did it then come about with the move? Because a lot of people say to me, you know, and again, you've done some financing, but as we said earlier in the show, a lot of the financing is, you know, kept tightly in the US and things like that. How did then the the, the proper move internationally come about? Did you, Was it just, well, the job's here, you've got to move? Or what was the situation? Because again, people will be, you know, wanting to know about that. So you're right. The corporate finance function is in the U.S. And it, I think that that's not different than many other U.S.-based companies. He did involve me over time more and more in the transactions that took place at corporate level. So I got to 
get involved more and then staying in the Netherlands and, you know, doing the from there versus being here in the U.S. That, you know, our, this, our CEO simply said, well, this is a job that's done out of the U.S. And besides the corporate finance function where there's also, I think, uh, involvement of the CFO at times or definitely, you know, relatively often, but even the CEO at times when it comes to, you know, investor presentations and so forth. There was also more to the job, specifically, I would say, U.S. related, you know, employee stock plan, the pension plans, being part of the investment committee and, and, and a lot more. And there's also a team over there to, to be managed uh, that's basically taking care of the, the North American treasury operations. And so it, it was pretty obvious that function is basically a part of the U.S. team. And then I think the second thing, and that you may see that as a difference between the U.S. and the European treasurer, if you will, I think the treasurer in the U.S. is in many companies kind of an official officer of the company. Yeah. So it has a specific status, if you will. Yeah. The treasurer is just where kind of the company is. And, and so it, it, it was kind of a, no, uh, a no-brainer to, uh, to make the move. And, and then... My, my boss, CFO, well, he basically uh, said, well, I, I want you. I mean, we, we had developed a good relationship over time. There was trust. He just simply said, well, I'm, I'm not considering anybody else. I want you for the job. So it was quite easy from that perspective. The flip side of it, obviously, is that you then have to also make your, uh, your family comfortable with that, make sure that they are on the same page. And ultimately, that's, that's what we decided on. Uh, but yeah, that, that's how it, how it went. And you've now seen, as you say, U.S. corporates into Europe, U.S. U.S. corporate into Europe, but with a, a different ethos and things. Example, you know, an example of that is you've moved across to the U.S. office and everything else. Now you're in the U.S. You've been there a few years. How would you contrast, say, U.S. Treasury organizations, perhaps with UK or European organizations? Is there a difference, or what are the main differences you see with between? sort of treasury globally that you've noticed because you've made that global move? Yeah, there are probably a couple of differences. I mean, we touched upon kind of the more centralized model here in the U.S. versus, you know, European style is maybe a little bit less centrally or kind of top down as much as the U.S. Uh, approach. Definitely different guest management practices. In Europe, we have to deal with multiple country countries here we have you know one country and kind of one way of working if you will one example in case management the uses of checks versus electronic in 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 europe yeah quite interesting i have to say and and even our company and you know active in a pretty traditional industry still having processing a lot of uh, checks and it's, it's it's still pretty pretty common and 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 the majority of companies are are definitely using it and that's it's quite interesting in all the the developments that we that we're making through technology and stuff that that we still have that uh, cultural differences for sure there's more of a hierarchy i guess here in the US than in Europe or definitely than in in, in the Netherlands in terms of dealing with banks specifically i i think over here in the US relationship management is is way more active than uh, in Europe. There's, there's more emphasis by banks on, you know, to have a very active relationship, you know, whether that's by, 
meetings, introducing all their specialists, uh, having, you know, lunch, dinners, and so forth. It's, it's not that that's not done in Europe, but there's definitely more emphasis on kind of managing this relation and keep this relationship uh, uh, alive. How is that with this new virtual world of COVID and everything else? How has that affected it? Or have you seen the guys trying to make more of an, send me more of an effort, you know, or how, how have you, the guys got the relationship guys got through that? Yeah, I think they're struggling a little bit with that, but, but, but there, there have been a couple of kind of uh, creative ideas. One bank, like a virtual cocktail hour with the team of one bank and our treasury team you know to keep the communication alive generally for all these meetings you you, you just do virtual meetings i guess and that that's what happens everywhere so i, I guess that we're, we're not unique there so all the kind of the relationship events that are typically being organized happen virtual another virtual event was like a cooking clinic oh, wow. that one other bank so they, they become a little bit more creative and but that, that's just two examples of, of, mm-hmm. of that but but other than that i think everybody's going virtual and you know whatever needs to be done needs to be done we we did our refinancing last month for uh, credit agreements you know all the communication the whole process up front we all did it uh, remotely and you know ultimately worked out well and with you know with this new treasury world and we've got you've got all the virtual stuff let's move on from that it's more what what would you see as you know the biggest challenges coming for you as a treasurer moving forward you know we've we've got back to we're starting to move back to a normality some people coming back in the office but a lot of people not not back in the office at all for a while that aside you as a treasurer, you know, sitting there at your desk and things like that, what are the challenges coming at you that you're thinking, right, we need to plan for this or these are the biggest issues that are going to be on my desk this side of Christmas into 2021? What are you thinking? We are in a fortunate position, to be honest with you, that our business has been doing well throughout the crisis so far. So we've been operating everywhere around the globe where our business is deemed to be essential. And, you know, we, we even though we've had our challenges, logistical challenges, and in some segments of the of the business also uh, definitely uh, feel some pain. But but overall, we're having a financial performance that is uh, that is really good and, and great. So mm-hmm. knock on wood, really happy with that. What I can't see, you know, as a result of this crisis, and maybe that's not so visible yet, is that I, I do see that there's a lot of businesses or industries that will suffer for a longer time from from this crisis with you know having had such a, a hard hit you know having you know support from you know the government having having to do additional financing have, having to lever up and so forth so i think that the, especially the companies that that have been suffering you know will not be there yet and 2021, you know, if I translate that to treasury, at the end of the day, and that's one of the lessons I learned definitely at, at, at Vion when we were going through difficult times, all what matters is is cash. And it sounds mm. as, a, as a cliche, but it, it, it's really true. I mean, when it really comes to that point in time, when you as a company have financial problems, it's all about cash. And, and definitely good. that's where the treasurer comes in and yeah. treasury can make the difference to a certain extent, of course, because the business has to has to pick up. It's the basis for the, the, the cash flow generation, but the management of that cash and you know the difference that can be made by 
efficient uh, cash management structures, mm. working capital solutions, working capital improvement programs, getting financing done in the public or in the private markets, etc. I think every example that I just gave is 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 going to be more than ever crucial for especially those companies that that are under pressure. Yeah, you know, it's that strength of balance sheet, isn't it? Because that's going to give you the resilience to get through it. It's absolutely true. I, I fully agree. And I think the other thing that the crisis has probably learned us is work from home, work remotely, is that, you know, automation and, and being able to kind of execute the job is also very important more than ever. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, companies also come to the conclusion that the work that is being done and the processes that we as a treasury group have to execute on a daily basis you know, if not done or, you know, if not fully done, you, you want to kind of upgrade that to, uh, to the next level uh, and, and, you know, aut- automate as, as much as possible. Mm. I mean, we, we got deep dived in there, you know, and we let it go into a lot of the detail about some of the roles there. Cause sometimes we get a bit more about, you know, the state of treasury. And I think, you know, we've got actually really touched on that in already. So what I want to do is, as we come towards the end of today's program is we'll put your details about you and your background in the LinkedIn and in, in LinkedIn profile in the show notes. But if you reflect back over your your experiences you've got some great stuff and you know potentially have a, a chat in the future about some of the differences between uk us corporates i think that's a fascinating thing because you've you've transcended both and stepped across but w- when you look at your linkedin profile or someone's looked at it today and they say right actually i'd like to have a background like martin that would be great what would you say what, what would you you know what what tips would you give those guys i would definitely recommend take as many opportunities as you get especially in the beginning of your career, do different things. Don't stick to kind of doing the same routine every day. But change are open for change, whether that's within your company, whether that's change of companies, whether that's accepting a job outside of your home, so to speak, your home base. Do that because I think the more you do, the more different things you do, the more you learn mm-hmm. and the more you develop yourself. The other kind of lesson I learned is we in the treasury world sometimes get to live in our own little bulb and are sometimes over-engineering, kind of approaching our our challenges uh, sometimes a little bit too academically. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and that makes it, makes it sometimes difficult to get things actually done. Sometimes just also be pragmatic and, and get things done and maybe you know, score the 90% and not the 100% that you uh, intended. Mm. And then I think the further you get into your career, you know, the more important it, 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 it's, it's going to be to have your network, uh, both inside and, and as well as outside your company. And I think that's going to determine whether you're going to be successful or not. No, I think it's great. I think, and, and again, you alluded to that earlier when you learned from one of your previous bosses. So I think, uh, no, it's good. I think being pragmatic and, you know, just having that realistic view if that's the right way to put it so i think i think that's what you you've has really come across just being a practical treasury person absolutely and and be a partner more than be the treasury professional be a partner to your core colleagues within the company yeah so martin thank you for your time today you've been a, a lovely guest i think you know, people will get, get some really good stuff we'll put your linkedin profile in the show notes so they can connect to you if you want to or not and yeah look forward to growth and development of you over at darling so uh, thank you very much for your time sir 
Thank you, Mike. I really appreciated the uh, the opportunity to be on the on the podcast. So thanks again, and hope to speak soon again. Home sweet soon. Thanks very much. Yeah.